Welcome to Unstructured Unlocked. A podcast where listeners discover how enterprise leaders are confidently automating document intake and accelerating their workflows to increase capacity and drive top-line revenue. I'm co-host Michelle Govea. And I'm co-host Chris Wells. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Unstructured Unlocked. I'm co-host Michelle Govea. I'm co-host Chris Wells. And we are joined today by Henry Gale, the Research and Insights Manager at Instec. Henry, welcome to the Unstructured Unlocked podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're looking forward to the conversation. Um, can you share a little bit about uh, Instec and what you do there specifically? Yeah, so, so my role at Instec involves a few things, researching and writing reports about different themes and topics that insurance companies are interested in around technology and innovation, doing research projects and briefings for insurance companies, technology companies, also writing some sort of news and insights content. So I've got a regular newsletter about the parametric insurance market and also one about how uh, insurance companies are using generative AI. Uh, and I also occasionally host some of our own podcasts and events as well. But Instec as a company, we call ourselves the collaboration of the curious. Before I joined, it started as a meetup of people curious about technology insurance in London. And now we're bringing together a sort of global group of insurance companies, technology companies who want to partner, they want to understand what's new and change the way they do business. That's a good t- collaboration of the curious to make a good t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It sounds like something out of Harry Potter. I love it. <laughs> so how, how did you... Uh, I I was looking at your bio before doing the usual LinkedIn stalking and um, Mm -hmm. your university degree is in uh, classics. So how did you end up um, in the insurance industry as an as an analyst? Yeah, well, I, I, Instech has been my first job. I joined as a research analyst just under three years ago, and it's been great to sort of be absolutely thrown into the world of yeah. insure tech and, and, and insurance. Um, but yes, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I didn't imagine I'd necessarily be working in the insurance industry when I did my degree, but I wanted to be open to lots of different things. And I'm very glad I came across Instech because it's been, you know, one of the most exciting areas of the insurance industry to learn about the new products that insurance companies are coming up with to tackle emerging risks, climate change, uh, but also how generative AI, other new technologies are helping insurers do what they already do in a, in a better way. Yeah, you joined at maybe one of the most volatile times in the history of insurance mm. ever. So I'm sure you haven't been bored. Um, also your response makes me think we need to do like a clip show of people saying, I don't know how I ended up in the insurance industry, but here I am. Cause we get that answer a lot. That's great. Yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit more about what the, what the actual work is like, what's your day to day look like? Um, yeah, well, insurance companies come to us to help understand the technology landscape better or understand where they can innovate with new products as well. So, you know, I'm regularly on calls with different insurance companies of different sizes, many of them in the London insurance market, but also globally. Uh, and they might have specific technology challenges. They might be looking to implement a new technology like an underwriting workbench. You know, we've got databases of all the technology companies that are out there that we can search through to help them find who their ideal partner might be. We can connect them to people, you know, through our events and our podcasts. We have other resources that we can direct them to or help people get connected. So, you know, for me, part of it is is writing about a market. If I've got a specific project to write about, say, you know, submission, ingestion, 
I'll go and look at all the vendors that are out there, understand the differences, write out an analysis that then people can use. And, you know, that's, that goes out to our network. Lots of people use them, uh, but it's also on a more, uh, you know, one-to-one basis when people come with their queries. And Henry, do you find that a lot of those, um, those questions for you, are they the big strategic like what can i do with with this type of technology or is it very focused on i have this problem and i want this type of solution who do you know of that i can talk to it varies a lot and it varies i think a lot of it is on the size of the company of course it sometimes depends on the mm-hmm. individual involved but there are some companies that just want to know, okay, generative AI, what's going on? And, you know, every month they might be asking me that question and seeing what my latest response is from everything we've been picking up in the market. I want to know the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, sometimes it can be very focused and, it, you know, it, it, we're not always at exactly the same point in the sort of technology adoption cycle. Obviously, you know, insurers have to figure out they've got a problem and then what is the solution to that problem and then who's out there to fix that. And we could come in at any of those stages, really. Uh, circling back, you mentioned submissions intake, which is a, a topic we often touch on. Um, a recent guest uh, made what I thought at the time was a somewhat controversial statement that the technology stack for intake specifically um, on the underwriting side, for example, was starting to crystallize and it was starting to sort of emerge as, um, you know, like these are, these are the set of tools you have options for what those tools are, but the main set of tools was starting to crystallize. And I, I wonder if, I wonder what your reaction to that is. I think, you know, I don't want to disagree with your other guests too much, but I don't know who it is. But <laughs> I think, you know, the, I don't think anyone's told the rest of the insurance industry in that, you know, there's actually a lot of, there's lots of insurance companies out there. They may think there is a tool for me, but they, you know, a lot of them haven't adopted much, if anything. And, you know, that thing about company size, you've obviously got some very large insurance companies out there who have massive technology budgets. They understand, uh, you know, how making a big investment in submissions ingestion is going to change the way they work. But there's also lots of insurance companies with, you know, fewer than a thousand employees working in the London insurance market. They're dealing with lots of uh, very complex submissions uh, you know, and the, the most complex submissions are the ones that haven't been automated yet. You know, we're not talking about personal lines here. So I think there's a the technology may be out there to do it right now, but I don't think it's been. I wouldn't say it's been widely adopted. Um, and even those that have started to adopt it are in the sort of okay, we've we've tried this for a few months, we've tried this for a year. How can we slightly tweak it? I think it also from what we see. Uh, and Henry, I, I wonder what what you see. The going back to that statement, each carrier is is different, so they have different distribution strategies. So their submission intake is going to look different, right? And then you 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 layer in the geography component and how the regulatory environment will impact how submission is done or how third party data can be used. And so um, I agree with you. I think we're a long ways away from saying this. This is the tech stack and this is, you know, uh, table stakes and anything. Let's look for the next differentiator. Um, but that's, that's what I see too. We're, and in our day to day, there's no shortage of people saying, what are the the technological solutions that we can, we can partner with to find 
uh, you know, to to better improve our our submission intake and our automating the underwriting process. So um, I, I I don't think I disagreed with whoever that guest was on the podcast, but I'll do it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got to start small, haven't you? And I think in a lot of cases, people have started with with something quite small and it's not scaled up to the whole business yet. And so that also means that as it, you know, as you try and adapt it to different lines of business or different sizes of deal, there are going to be more challenges which emerge that the solutions may change somewhat. So, yeah, when you're, when you're speaking to folks, they're asking your advice. Is it strictly about the tool set or do you also advise on you know, the approach, like start small, you know, build grassroots, whatever, whatever the advice is. But do you also do you also advise there? Well, it can be a bit of both. I mean, you know, we're not we're not sort of an, an implementation advisory type company. So we don't go into all of that detail. But, you know, there's stuff we pick up from all our different conversations with insurance companies that we can say, well, you know, your peers really struggle when they try to do this without naming them you know, maybe you should look to do something a bit differently. And I think, you know, and in some ways, you can see that the challenges of of doing things a certain way in the past affect how we're doing them at the moment. You know, really difficult projects to digitize everything all at once, you know, big transformation projects, which have not worked as expected, or, you know, they've sometimes gone quite badly. That affects not just you know, the approach to using technology in the future, but it, there's a there's a cultural shift, which means you sort of have to start small, for example. Um, yeah. yeah, I we've talked to a lot of folks who have who bear the scars of failed transformation. Um, it does take a while to recover from that um, as an organization, to your point. Talk to us about some of the stuff that is working right now. Yeah, well, I think... I think is working in terms of the submissions in intake example. So, you know, we we have seen examples again with working with different technology companies. Some insurers able to put numbers on the amount of increased underwriter capacity they've been able to do when underwriters are spending less time going through lots of emails or reading about risks that turn out to be out of appetite and a machine probably could have told you that in the first place or re-keying information into their legacy systems. So I think, you know, one of those solutions that lots of insurers are looking to do now is when the data comes in, it's extract the information that's needed, put it into some workflow that means that some of the most basic decisions can be made around, is it in appetite? Is this a risk we should prioritize? Uh, and, you know, probably add in third-party information where possible to do that, and then deliver that all into a system that underwriters can use in a workbench, something like that, rather than having them sort of, you know, go through all their emails. That's something which more insurance companies are looking to adopt at the moment. And because, and that's because the insurance industry, they want to be fast followers. They see someone's done it and, you know, it seems to be working for them. We'll probably try that ourselves. In, in that example, Henry, when, when you say someone has successfully done it and then you have uh, an onslaught of carriers saying, we, we want to, we want to, to do that. We want to get to their level. Do you, do you tend to find that the, the following carriers say, oh, this third-party vendor worked for them, so we're just going to go with them. Or do they do they redo a full competitive analysis and identify um, 
maybe a different vendor or something slightly differentiated or does it my does it depend <laughs> well i think it, it is a bit of a mix of the two but you you are going to be much more successful as a vendor if you can already point to named insurance clients that have done it before and i think without that you do really struggle if you have multi if you've got an example where there are multiple vendors like that, then most insurance companies are going to do a more rigorous process where they'll say, okay, let's let's compare each of these. Uh, but if if you're not among those companies that can say, look, we've worked with you know X big name insurance company uh, and it's worked, it's not. And, and you know that's one of the things about insurance is they're all very risk averse. They want to be the fast followers, and there's not always the incentive there to be the first mover. Yeah, yeah. To that point. As much as I'd like to say Indico is in this category, no one's reached the level of you won't get fired if you if you hire this vendor, right, in the space. It's just not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 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 challenging because you need to insurance companies, obviously, they, they need to help hold people accountable. But, uh, but there's not a sort of culture of risk taking with technology. And that comes from some of those experiences with transformation, I think, to some extent. Um, and. But the the benefit of being the internal advocate for a solution that does really change, you know, operational costs or allow, you know, with, with the submission ink take on, it's definitely not all about operational costs. Bring in more premium from brokers um, if you can return quotes to them more quickly. Yeah, I, I think. Um, oh, sorry, Chris, am I stepping on a thought? Of yours? No, no, no. I'll, <laughs> I'll make my dumb joke in a little bit. <laughs> Um, I'm probably, I, I may be shifting it a little earlier than, than normal in the conversation, but I think I mean, the point that you just made is really interesting as it relates to all the hype about generative AI solutions out there, right? And um, I think generally, and, and, and challenge this if, if you disagree with what you've seen, but I think generally there is an appetite to quote unquote, do something or test something with generative AI capabilities within the next one to two years so that not that it's a check the box, like everyone wants it to work, but that, that's what you have to do, right? That That's the new solution. That's the cutting edge. Um, but there seems to be quite a, a wide range of um, use cases or appetite for how to use generative AI internally in carriers. So um, be interested to hear what the types of conversations that you're having and where um, carriers are, are leaning. Like what are the types of use cases that they're coming to you uh, most frequently with. I think that's there's a there's an element to that which is the consequence of the hype cycle, right? And the, the fact that everyone's using it as a consumer because insurance companies, you know, their most senior executives and their board members have got kids using ChatGPT, showing it to these senior people <laughs> who don't quite know what to make of it but think it's going to change the world, <laughs> bringing it up. And then they obviously task someone slightly junior to them with figuring out how to use this, which is not really a very strategic approach that is actually going to bring a lot of value in the long term, unless you've got a very, mm -hmm. very clever person beneath you who's going to figure out how to how to solve all that problems. Of course, it should be really about solving a, a problem that you've got in your business already. Um, and you know, this is what it has the capability to do in different areas. And I think the most mature examples, well, it's not always the case, but but many of the examples are where there's already some 
technology project in flow. It might be to do with submissions intake. It might be to do with uh, the way you communicate with your customers. It might be to do with claims or something else. There's already some automation going on, but bringing in uh, a large language model might actually uh, have better outcomes than what's being done already. And so instead of starting from scratch and saying, what can we do with ChatGPT? It's uh, it, it's integrating it into a, a technology which you're already working on and you're working on it for a reason. Yeah, I, I want to just reemphasize that point, right? It's a tool like any other model or technology. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just because you have a wrench, that doesn't mean everything's pipes, right? So go find the spot where you need a wrench. Um, given where you sit and the level of contact you have with the industry, where do you think we are on the hype cycle? Has the wave crested or still growing? I I don't think it's actually finished. I think I think there's still more to go. Actually, um, it does depend who you talk to, because I think some people get more easily exhausted with this type of hype than others. Uh, but I think there's also more use cases to come. So I think given that, you know, and I, I follow this by writing a newsletter every month about how insurance companies are using generative AI. You Highly know, recommend, by the way. Highly recommend. Uh, really at the, at the sort of, you know, halfway through 2023, you had a number of insurers already coming out saying, uh, you know, this is some great pilot project we've come up with. Now we're coming to the end. We're getting the first few saying we did the pilot project and now we're starting to do it in production. And so, and there are more yet more pilot projects to be announced in, in various press releases and media articles. So that I think is going to keep it going because it's not just more of the same. There's a, there should be, there should start to be, and I'm already seeing this a qualitative shift towards okay, well, we understand that we've created a spreadsheet with 100 possible use cases in our company, but you know, one of our peers is already ahead of us because they've started to use more than one of these use cases live, uh, or, or there's just more evidence of it being real, what's real now. Um, you know, and, and it might be that most of those use cases, there's already the technology and there's someone out there who could be doing it, it could be real but the investment hasn't necessarily uh, got there yet. And the other aspect to it, of course, is how insurance companies set their budgets. And, you know, they hadn't set their budgets at the end of last year. So think about generative AI. Now it's more on the agenda. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm the grizzled old tech veteran on this call. And it's funny <laughs> how... It's funny how much of a resemblance this hype cycle bears to the last AI hype cycle from seven eight years ago when transformers you know came on the scene um everyone in the c-suite was like we have to get us some more ai and the people below didn't know exactly what to do with it um i think to your point henry about everyone sort of out everyone this capturing the collective uh consciousness is that back then you had to i mean you would have to write TensorFlow code to interact with this technology. Now you just query into a chatbot, um, and so it's easier to imagine what types of problems that kind of a tool might solve. I guess that's the that's the one difference, uh, one critical difference I would point out between the two hype cycles. In the past, because you needed to write code, if you've been tasked to go away and find out what you can do with AI, you can 
go to your manager and say, okay, well, this is what I can do, but it's very, very complicated and it's going to cost a lot of money. Whereas now it's a bit harder to do that because it's so much more obvious that it's very clever and it can do lots of things. And so, you know, that may well mean that it's used a bit more as well because there's an extent to which this hype cycle is also benefiting, you know, traditional AI, if we can call it that, as well as generative, you know, AI. Yeah, I I like that some people have started to use SLM, small language model, to differentiate the two technologies. I will say at the moment from where I sit, Gen AI is uh, at the very least muddying the waters in terms of what AI technology is the proper one for a given problem. Um, I would still argue that until underwriters get to the point where they want the bot to really make the decision for them and document the decision, the smaller four purpose models for extracting data are the way to go um, for a, a variety of reasons. But at the very least, the fact that you have some semblance of an idea of why they're saying what they're saying to you. I think I think um, what's really interesting to me is, as Henry, you alluded to that that anyone now can 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 use AI, right, because their their kids are using it or they're using it in their personal life. And so why wouldn't they bring it to to their work life? Um, and I do wonder how, given the regulatory landscape of the insurance industry, which which is necessary, right? and and the the challenges that will come with with regulating the use of of gen AI in decision making, in the data that's pulled and 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 used for the models, et cetera, um, how quickly people will get frustrated with the fact that the insurance industry does just by by not not because it wants to but just by means of all of those factors does have to move slower in implementing this than you would if you just clicked on your computer at home and started asking questions um and so we we've talked a lot about you know the um the workforce and and how it'll shift using gen ai but i do wonder of the of the current workforce of there, there's all this great conversation about how this will improve your day to day but in the short term, I do imagine that there's going to be a lot of frustration and um, uh, maybe even resentment of of this is so easy to use. I use it every day. Why can't I use it here? Um, and so I do wonder about POC to pilot to in production, how long that will actually take for some of the, the key decision making use cases within a carrier. Yeah, I think that's right. But it's also uh, I mean, I was reading one of the you know articles about you know, your employees are probably using ChatGPT at work, even if you've banned it, you know, and the first yeah. example it gave was someone from an insurance company who obviously didn't want to be named. <laughs> uh, you know, this is obviously <laughs> happening already, but it's not without a solution because there are insurance companies that have already, you know, worked with Microsoft and OpenAI to set up their own privately hosted ChatGPT equivalent. And, you know, so Marsh McLennan announced that across their business recently. AXA have done that. Nationwide have done that. There are a couple others, large names, that are going to do it very soon in the future. And, you know, I suppose they're doing it now, 12 months after ChatGPT was released. Well, that is a long time. But actually, most consumers probably, you know, took a while to, to get onto the idea of using ChatGPT for most of their tasks as well. So I think it's it's not too bad in that sense. And I think it is interesting as a use case that before many of the process examples, uh, you know, actually integrating generative AI into real core business functions like underwriting or claims, which are probably going to bring more value in the long term, insurers have 
gone first in some cases with this, we're going to have an in-house chat GPT equivalent. Because really, that's how most people interact with generative AI. That's what they want to be able to use. They know how to use it already. And so I think that's an interesting first step. And of course, once you've set that up, the technology for that on some privately hosted thing, there's nothing to stop your development teams uh, or working with the party providers to then use that instance of GPT on a Microsoft server somewhere, for example, or Google or someone else, um, to create a, a business process that's been enhanced by GenAI. How? So I, I'm really fascinated by the sort of, you know, big public API only models versus open source. Um, I watch that very closely. How closely are insurance technology leaders following that race or are they not at all? At technology companies, I think they are quite a lot because they want to figure out how much, you know, they need to manage their own costs of API calls or they want to figure out how much they can do in-house and fine-tuning models, those sorts of things. So I think at the technology companies, there's a there's quite an understanding of that, at least at the ones that are most on top of this. Generally, of course, you know, generative AI technology could be a challenge to many insurance technology companies that are out there that have spent a long time training a model to do one specific thing. And now we've got a general purpose model that can do lots of different things uh, in a different way. So it's not, in, in some cases, that's been the case, but, but most, of course, have understood that and they want to take the most advantage of access to this AI as possible. And so, and that often means exploring all the different avenues with the different providers. And insurance companies, I think there's less, um, you know, especially, you know, the largest insurance companies will have tech teams that are looking at this, but broadly, lots of people aren't really going into all the details of the different foundational models aside from open AI. Yeah, that makes me nervous. I mean, the uh, the private endpoint <laughs> thing is totally viable. It It is very expensive because you're paying for something that's always on. The trade-off is the open source stuff, while it's getting better, it's not GPT-4 level. Um, but you do know, you do have better control over what it's doing, right? Like open AI is not going to release a new checkpoint on you and sort of change your models without you knowing why and having some understanding of what's going on. So I, I'm hopeful that, uh, insurance tech, uh, executives keep their eye on this space because there's a lot of promise and ending up in a world where three companies own these oracles and we don't have much control or understanding of what's going behind the scenes is a bit dystopian in my, it's a movie. It's a movie script waiting to be read. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've um, we've talked a lot about in this episode so far obviously gen i but, but submissions it takes specifically i'd love to get your thoughts henry on what either just separate of gen ai or even capabilities of gen ai as it relates to what carriers are looking to do and innovate in the claim space um we talk a lot about that as well um there's there's I, I what I believe to be a cohort that's let's improve the tech stack and that's the the way to ultimately improve customer experience and customer engagement. Um, there are solutions out there and carriers that are going very much for the uh, everything from the lens of what the end insured, how they interact with me. And so it's all new interfaces and uh, faster, more automated workflows and and how do you, how do you get 
your your claim paid out faster? How do you get the answers that you need faster? So really interested to hear what theme is is maybe trending, um, you know, the most with with what your conversations are. Yeah, because there is that customer facing angle of of how do you actually help the customer with their submission of a claim, and that would help the claims handle as well if it's all done in a more structured way. But I've also seen quite a lot, especially when it comes to more complex insurances. You know, the claims handler has a similar problem to the underwriter when we're talking about intake, especially for complex claims. They've got all sorts of different documents in different formats. They need to pull together the information they need. They need to augment it with third-party data, with internal data about claims that have happened before, what the policy document is and the coverage. Uh, and so where you can use something that's going to extract all of that information, put it into one platform and make that claim handling decision more smooth you know that's something which is changing and, and in some cases for the for the simple claims there's definitely been more of a move recently towards can we automate you know the whole claims process if if there's a decision that it is a a simple claim that, that we know we can automate um, so i think that's part of it and you know and gen ai builds into it slightly i think you know uh, in the same way that it does with submissions you know travelers have announced a pilot um, of a sort of claims tool that's a knowledge assistant where it's going to bring together all the information you need and you know i'm not sure in this one but you know you can imagine one where you can chat with the information and ask further questions um uh, you know another aspect of course is, is triaging claims um, you know if they're all coming in into shared inbox they may need to go to different teams so uh, i think all of those aspects are where ways that claims today are being changed but i don't think it's happening quite as quickly as it is on the underwriting front yeah the the um the claims and underwriting co-pilot framing of using gen ai makes a ton of sense to me i i also like and we we've talked about this one before on other podcasts. The um, the Gen AI that can sort of look ahead in the inbox and say, you know, reach down to this one. This one's this one's something you're really going to want to look at. Um, I think that's a really useful framework. But I I am encouraged that I think I hear you saying that humans are still they're still in the driver's seat. The AI is just the co-pilot for now. Yeah, yeah, and I think most insurance companies. Well, they don't want to cut the human out. They want to make their humans more productive. And that's what their employees want as well. Um, but I think in most cases, the complexity of the decision-making, we're not quite there yet uh, for, for many claims and underwriting examples to be able to, on any, on any large scale, um, make those decisions automatically. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that um, we've reached the point in this tech cycle where the first sort of pilots, um, POCs are going to production. And you talked about some of the use cases that you think are gonna stick. What have you seen, uh, what are you seeing getting, you know, put on the chopping block, stuff that isn't working? Mm. That's a good question. Um, I think it doesn't necessarily go, it, it probably goes lower down the spreadsheet for later, some of those okay. things. But I think it's quite different at different insurance companies. So I think in general, you can split most of the use cases for insurance into this is something to do with underwriting or submissions. It's something to do with claims. It's something to do with distribution. And there's some interesting use cases there, um, or with some you know customer service type chatbots. I think maybe what's gone lower down the list and where people thought there was the ambition to do something bigger before is what we were just talking about is is, is taking the human out of the loop in many cases and, and making those decisions automatically because i think 
you know, the first time people saw the technology, they thought, well, you can just give uh, GPT-4 all the information that an underwriter would give, tell it all of our underwriting rules, and then get it to make the decision. I think people have, have moved beyond that and said, okay, well, we're just going to use this to inform decisions rather than um, rather than make them. But it, it, it has varied from company to company as to whether they've put more of a focus towards customer service or underwriting or distribution or claims. And there are there are examples which have gone um, to some length in, in each of them, I think. I think what's really interesting about um, the answer you just gave, Henry, is all of those examples or the the use cases that that have that were outlined are insured centric right it's all in relation to a decision that's got to be made with the end insured in mind and not a lot of um back office this is how can Gen AI help my day-to-day workflow when it's just something that lives within the four walls of the carrier? So I'm thinking like um, finance or treasury functions, uh, analytics and reporting for for things that are help happening just you know up and down the organization at the carrier level. Um, I can imagine a n- number of use cases for that as well, but those don't seem to be generating as much interest from at least from what we're reading and, and maybe we're just not because the yeah, end consumers don't care about what the carriers are using for internally. But um, I just find that really interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think maybe partially, and I'm sort of thinking on the fly here, it, it could be to do with the fact that some of those are, if you implement you know, an automation or an AI solution, you gain an operational efficiency, but you don't necessarily get another benefit on top of that. Whereas if you can, you know, process submissions more quickly and give underwriters more decision-ready information, that means you can underwrite more business and that increases your revenue. Or in the claims side, if you can deliver the claims resolutions more quickly, you know, your customer, um, you know, it's, it's better for the customer and so they're more likely to renew the business. So it, it, you can see how it more closely links, I think, to some of those business fundamentals. I think that's why those areas are more, have been more priority. Interesting. You, uh, when you're going through the list, you mentioned uh, AI applications in distribution, and that's not something we've touched on a lot, at least not recently in the podcast. So I wonder if you could unpack that just a bit. Well, so this could be on the broker side. You know, they do marketing emails, for example, personalized emails to potential clients or clients. You know, there are some companies that are now. Uh, they're using tech platforms that are out there uh, to to use automatically generated emails where again you can sort of have the email generated you just have to click send if you think it's appropriate you know that's one of the examples another one is having uh, chatbots integrated into some of the distribution systems you might already use or, or the portals so you know for one example is a cowbell cyber which is mga They've come up with their own chatbot, which they're offering to policyholders and brokers to ask questions about the cyber policies that are out there, to ask questions about cybersecurity, which is obviously very relevant for their line of business. Um, and there are also, you know, other companies, consumer insurance companies that have that are now putting GPT into their online chatbots on their website to help provide information about 
what is this insurance product, um, you know, and, and will it help me? I think you get into some quite weird territory there, though, and, and sometimes the consumer regulation means that might not always be the best choice. I, you know, one example I saw was where someone put out a, a press release or something on LinkedIn saying, you know, we've just released our new uh customer advice chatbot, uh, you know, an insurance company, and you click on it, and then it says, uh, it, you know, in the small print, it says, you must not take this as advice, anything <laughs> that comes out of here for <laughs> regulatory reasons. So there's a bit of caution to be had, I think, especially when you're talking about consumers. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I We talk about um, three S's when it comes to artificial intelligence, safe, secure, and scalable. And I think the industry as a whole has big question marks um, for all three of those. There's a lot to sort out in the next 24 months, call it. Certainly. And I think, you know, all of what we've discussed builds onto that. You know, how do you want to set up how you're working with an AI company? Which servers are you going to put it on? Uh, you know, are you going to prioritize something that's internal that you might have more control over versus something that you give out to customers? And so that builds into that decision making. That's on on that note, um, I think those three S's are places where uh, tech companies can differentiate themselves, but it's a very noisy space. Um, so I, I wonder if I can pick your brain a little bit on from the tech you know from the tech vendor side, what's what's helping companies to stand out um, as they try to take their products to market? Well, across insurance technology. The, the insurance companies are looking for people who really understand insurance and understand the problem they've got. And so, you know, it, it's, it's almost too obvious, but it can't be emphasized enough that if you've got people in your company who have probably worked at insurance companies before can really articulate exactly the problem that you've got at your insurance company, uh, that is the immediate credibility that actually a lot of technology companies really struggle with, um, especially if they've come into insurance from other industries or if they've started up with limited experience uh, because that is the the trust that you need if you want to get that first one or two insurance customers so yeah yeah it's very tribal you have to speak the language or they'll know that you're a you know you're not part of the tribe you do we, we try and sometimes we think of ourselves as a translation service between insurance and technology <laughs> but there's only so much you can do yeah that's right I think what's interesting too is um, in in the current landscape is everyone at least has a base understanding of, of Gen AI. So you're not coming in having to give a full tech sales pitch before you actually get to to the applicability, uh, which is a shift probably from you know three to five years ago of of these insure techs coming in and leading with with here's the technology in the room going I, I still know what you do i'm just i'm just looking for a solution that does this for me right um and so there's the the what's been really interesting about this gen ai is that everyone seems to have a basic understanding of what it can do uh, back to your point henry of um let's task anybody in the in the company to find anything that we can do with this and make it work um but i i think there will be challenges of um getting getting people to just accept whatever the final deployment of gen ai will be even like it could be grander and i think people um may may get frustrated with 
we can do it for so much more, but but this is what's been approved. This is what we can do it for. This is what's proven to Chris, to your point, you know, safe, secure, and scalable. Um, there are limitations to that when you think about the deployment in large enterprises. Yeah, and I think yeah, what you're saying earlier, there's there's two dynamics which emerge from that, which is one, either you have people who uh, you know have heard so much about generative AI that they sort of don't they don't want to hear about the technology. You know, we, we all understand the technology, we just want to know the solution. We've got this specific problem. So, you know, stop telling us what ChatGPT does. But then you've also got, you know, there are some technology companies now that are saying, well, our sales cycles have, have really gone down for insurance companies because they're so keen on generative AI. And, you know, obviously the insurance being a slow adopter of technology and that speeding up is not necessarily a bad thing. But if that has come from a position of we need to use Gen AI, whatever it's for, that's not a very strategic approach. And that's probably not going to lead to the best outcomes either. But as you say, you know, it's an unpredictable technology. Not everyone, you know, no one really knows exactly what the limits of a large language model is. And so you have to, when you want to put it into production, you need to do a lot of testing. You need to start with something that's very limited so that you can be sure that it's going to respond in a predictable way. Because whether that is presenting information to an underwriter that it uses to make a decision or something like delivering information to a broker or a customer, you need to be pretty sure that that's not going to give something that's wildly out there. Yeah. That, that last point you made about um, using it at all costs, that reminds me of the blockchain hype cycle. I was in financial services at the time and it was like, oh, this, more blockchain for everything. And then we'll vague hand-waving statements, dot, 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 profit. Um, and uh, so, I, so I think for that reason, there's a lesson there. I also wanted to point out, uh, and this is a combination of the points you both just made. Um, I think there will be frustration that we're not adopting in the insurance industry, this technology fast enough. But I think, I think caution is warranted for a number of reasons. One of them being sure. it's a very dynamic space and you don't want to build yourself into a corner. Like, Oh, we're just going to always use API only models. Well, that architecture is very different. And if suddenly you know, Mistral or Wizard LM comes out with a model that's, you know, GPT-4 quality and you can run on run it on a card in your VPC that you manage and fine tune it at scale. Um, well, you missed out on that. And um, so I I think it's important for the uh, sort of enterprise architects out there as they're thinking about implementing these technologies to keep their options open as much as that might be painful and that you're not building for purpose right away. Um, I think it's critical. And I think there's less of the, in the past, you know, insurance has been a slow adopter compared to the rest of financial services, but it has picked up on generative AI, you know, you know, you, you can also answer this, but, you know, the same sort of pace that other sectors are doing. And so there's less reason to complain and say, you know, we've been really, really slow here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I I want to do one thing that we normally do on this show, and that's ask you to look into your crystal ball. And because this uh, technology is moving so quickly, I'll just I'll only ask for six months ahead. What do you think this conversation will be like mm -hmm. six months from now when we have you back? Well, I think we'll have some more examples of insurance companies that we can name actually saying that they've used it for a real purpose. You know, we've we've had various pilot examples. The one I, I wanted to mention just because it's so out there is, you know, Nationwide announced a few weeks ago that they've been using generative AI to come up with 
pet health insights for all their pet insurance policyholders. So they take a whole load of information there about you know pet health and they combine it with the information they've got about each policyholder's pet and their history and they're giving it to deliver i mean you know that's a that's a pilot as far as i understand it you know and it, it's it's a it's, it's out there idea it's very different to everything else we've been talking about i hope that in six months time we'll have more examples like that that we probably haven't thought of in this conversation but also some more figures to say, okay, well, this company implemented this for their submissions and it's resulted in this percentage increase in gross written premium over you know the number of, of uh, employees they've got in underwriting teams. I hope so too. I like hard data rather than mm-hmm. meet on posts. These yeah. are the five prompts you have to know. I think we're still in there. <laughs> um, Well, uh, this has been a fascinating episode of Unstructured Unlocked. Our guest today has been Henry Gale, Research and Insights Manager at Instech. Henry, thank you so much for bringing um, your insights and your good humor and uh, just all of your knowledge to this conversation. Well, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Michelle. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unstructured Unlocked. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts today. Spotify, Apple, everywhere. Be sure to follow at Indico Data on Twitter and YouTube. Have a good day, Automator.